Maddox, Glavin, and Frank Thomas are in. Biggio and Morris are out. Very busy Wednesday, January 8th. Cue the music. everyone. Welcome to the Yes Men. I am Doug Williams. Today I am actually weirdly hosting alone without my... Wait, 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 wait. Before you turn off the dial, I do have a guest coming up. I'm not totally alone. It just won't be me yammering at you for a half hour, but I don't have my usual co-host, Lou DiPietro. He is out sick today, unfortunately. Luckily, though, for me, I have a lot to talk about. There is a ton going on. Uh, Initially, we thought maybe we would totally make this podcast today about the hall of fame because obviously the announcement it's 231 happened 29 minutes ago and the announcement is is shocking in a few ways we'll get to uh, the exact numbers in a little bit but the hall of fame is always interesting it's really interesting now that some of the players from my childhood are going through this process the players that other people would call from the steroid era and so that was really interesting well obviously we'll get to the numbers so we were initially thinking We would just do Hall of Fame, but we can't ignore the fact that the NFL playoffs uh, are coming up on this weekend. And, you know, this is going to be another great weekend of sports, everybody. So I I think there's a lot of reasons to be excited. We're going to talk to uh, Doug Kide of Nesson.com. He's a Patriots beat writer. We'll talk to him about the matchup with the Colts and uh, possibly, you know, the future matchup with either the Broncos or the Chargers. But first, let's talk a little Hall of Fame. So Greg Maddox got 97.2% of the vote, and he's in. Tom Glavin and Frank Thomas have also been elected. So that's three new guys in the Hall of Fame. All three of them are very deserving. Uh, Frank Thomas, obviously one of the best power hitters of all time. Tom Glavin and Greg Maddox, uh, the tandem on the Braves, two of the best pitchers uh, in baseball history, two of the, definitely two of the best pitchers of my lifetime. Uh, maybe the bigger story, though, is the people who didn't get in, specifically Craig Biggio, barely missed it, 2% of the vote, 74.8%. And Biggio really honestly missed it almost purely because of the fact that you only get 10 votes. If all the writers were able to vote for everyone they wanted to, which you know some people say it should be like that, I think Biggio would have gotten in easily. Uh, I feel terrible for the guy. He deserves it. He has 3,000 hits. Uh, he will get in. It's just, you know, come on. The, the guy needs to get in. And we'll talk a little bit about later in the podcast about the fact that this system really does need to change uh, eventually. Um, it's nobody's fault. It's just a little bit archaic. And Jack Morris, unfortunately, will be off the ballot and will yet again miss the Hall of Fame. He got 61.5% of the vote. Again, Jack Morris was an ace. He was never great. His ERA career is a little bit under four. And I think, you know, when you start to look at these players, here's the mindset. You're going to say no to Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, which makes sense, but their numbers are, are, are the best of all time. And you're going to let Jack Morris in just because he's not from the steroid era for being, you know, good to mediocre at times. You know, you, you just can't let that happen. And I understand I would have voted for Morris had I had a vote, but it makes sense that he's not in few other notables here. Mike Piazza got 62%. Also, obviously, not elected. Bagwell, Jeff Bagwell from the Astros got 54%. Those are both guys where you hear whispers about PEDs. Nothing official, no failed tests or anything like that, but you hear whispers. On the other hand, Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds, Clemens got 34, 35.4%. Bonds got 34.7%. We're both down from last year's numbers. So they're not in, and they're on a downhill slope here. Looks like they're not going to get in. 
and that is really interesting. This is an incredibly uh, fascinating topic. It's the best baseball players of all time not being allowed into the Hall of Fame because of the era that they played in because of the rumors about them. A few former Yankees, Mike Messina, in his first season on the ballot, got 20.3% of votes. That's a little disappointing. He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Obviously, he stays on the ballot. It was his first year. He's still got a chance. Don Mattingly will remain on the ballot as well with 8.2%, but it doesn't look like he will ever make the Hall of Fame because his career was cut so short. And Rafael Palmero in anti-PED news got 4.4% and is now off the ballot. So, you know, I don't want to get too much into this. I know not everybody is a Hall of Fame aficionado out there, but I will say this. Again, Maddox and Glavin were the two guys, when you looked at the Hall of Fame ballot, that just there was no excuse not to put them in. And that's why I did a reply all for YesNetwork.com yesterday about Ken Gurnick not you know, putting anyone but Jack Morris on the ballot. And, you know, his reasoning was, I'm not going to put anyone from the steroid era on there. And that just doesn't make any sense because Greg Max and Tom Glavin were striking the guys out that were on steroids. I mean, you know, Greg Max won 18 gold gloves. These were two of the best pitchers, uh, you know, of my lifetime. And by the way, they were getting hitters out with 88-mile-an-hour fastballs. To not put them on the ballot would have been silly, and I'm glad they got in. I wish Maddox could have gotten um, a 100% unanimous vote. Uh, so I'm happy for Glavin and Frank Thomas. I'm happy for Maddox, obviously. I'm, I feel terrible for Craig Biggio. Um, I wish that Mike Messina got more than 20% of the vote. Uh, you know, I think that he has the credentials to be a Hall of Famer. I hope that someday he gets in. I think he deserves it. Such a good, quiet guy, a, a guy that was consistently great for a very long time. And, you know, it's hard. This process, people, is a little bit flawed. You know, there are a few reasons why, you know, a lot of people don't like that it's just the baseball writers. You know, why did they get to just make the decision? You know, each one of them might like one guy who has is a has a questionable record and really dislike a guy who clearly has the numbers to get in. And they can, without knowing it, you know, change the way that this vote happens. And when you see a guy like Ken Gurnick yesterday... Uh, Dodgers beat writer comes out and says, I only want Jack Morris. It's the only guy I'm going to vote for. Well, that kind of makes you think, well, wow, these guys have a lot of power. And, you know, a lot, most of them, I mean, uh, Jack Curry comes to mind. He was one of the smartest guys that I've met in this business. And his vote is meticulous and, and he is so thought out. And, you know, if you disagree with one or two guys, there's obviously a debate and there's a reason why he chose who he chose. But when guys like Ken Gurnick come out, and, and, and say this, it makes you think, well, hmm, maybe this shouldn't be the way we do it. Maybe we should decide as a whole or there should be some way to do it more democratically and, and allow a, a different kind of people to be able to choose who makes it and who doesn't. I just – it doesn't really make sense, this process. It's a little bit archaic. A lot of the things that we've had going on in this country for you know years are a little bit archaic. I think that's the way the world works. But – Sometimes you wonder if these writers had been able to choose whoever they wanted and for some reason didn't have, you know, this limit of 10, which makes no sense to me, then maybe Craig Biggio would be a Hall of Famer as he deserves to be. It just it seems like we're waiting years that we don't have to wait. We know certain guys are going to get in eventually. Why should we have to wait? You know, why should they have to wait? It's an incredibly painful process, both for fans and the players themselves.
Let's move on to a different topic. We're going to talk some NFL today. Um, I, you know, the first game I want to talk about is Colts Patriots. And um, luckily enough, I, you know, I don't know how many Patriots are listening to this show. Patriots fans are listening to this show. But at the same time, I think it's one of the more intriguing games. The Patriots and the Colts are longtime January rivals. They've played each other in countless playoff games. Adam Vinatieri comes to mind on both teams. You know, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, that's where their, that rivalry started. So we have a guest today uh, joining us, uh, Doug Kide from Nesson.com, Patriots beat writer. Doug, thanks for coming on. Absolutely. I'm happy to be on. Um, so obviously it's an important time for the Patriots, important time to be covering the Patriots. And there have been some interesting things happening with this team. I mean, first you have the storyline of Dion Branch, former Patriot great signing with the Colts. You don't know whether he's actually a wide receiver or if he's just a guy to have on the sideline, maybe to psych the Patriots out. And then you have Brandon Spikes, the linebacker for the Patriots being put on IR. Which of those do you think negatively affects the Patriots more? Oh, I'd say I'd say definitely uh, Brandon Spikes. Um, he hadn't been playing fully healthy anyway for the past three weeks or so, but if you have a fully healthy Brandon Spikes in the lineup, that's a huge help for the run defense, which has struggled all season anyway. Now without Spikes in there, the team's going to be a lot stronger against the pass than they will be against the run. Uh, he's really just that, that force in the middle that kind of intimidates other teams. He's guy he kind of flies around. He can overpower guards. He can overpower offensive linemen really changes the dynamic of the defense. So to, to get him out of there and to place him on injured reserve, that's going to force other guys like Dane Fletcher and the rookie Jamie Collins to really step up. But those are more your athletic linebackers, better known for coverage. They're, they're definitely going to miss spikes. The branch thing, I mean, I, I think that he definitely will help them. He, he knows Tom Brady probably better than any other wide receiver in the league, maybe barring Wes Welker. It's neck and neck between those guys. So, Obviously, he's able to tell the Colts a little bit about Brady's tendencies. I'm not sure how much he's still going to know about the offense just because of how much he's changed in the past season. But he'll definitely be able to give them some intel in there. But I'm not sure how much it's really going to help or not. Yeah, I, I wonder the same thing. Sometimes these these stories are kind of overblown, and it's possible that, I mean, with the injury to Reggie Wayne, it's very possible that the Colts just needed a wide receiver. Um, so there are a lot of people wondering exactly how the Pats will deal with the uh, number one wide receiver on the Colts, which is T.Y. Hilton, obviously had a huge game last week against the Chiefs. Is Aqib Tlaib the answer? Because he's a very big corner. He's used to covering the big number ones versus, you know, the quick and Deshaun Jackson, Steve Smith types. Is he the answer to cover Hilton? I'm not sure if he is or not. He did have a little bit of trouble with Steve Smith during training camp when the Patriots were practicing against the Eagles. He had some trouble against Deshaun Jackson as well. So that's the one kind of wide receiver he does kind of have trouble with. He's not going to be a slot cornerback in there. He's the only time he's really played in the slot this season was when Vincent Jackson was lining up in the slot for the Buccaneers. So I'm not sure if it is going to be Tlaib. It could be a mixture of players. I think the player that we're going to see the most on, on Hilton is Kyle Arrington. That might be a bit of a surprise because I know that he doesn't have the best reputation. But he is the Patriots slot cornerback. He's the fastest cornerback on the Patriots. He's got that change of direction. He's going to have help from Devin McCourty, from Steve Gregory up the top. So some of his his deficiencies, which is, you know, covering that deep ball, those might be taken away a little bit. But there's really there's a lot of possibilities there for who could cover T.Y. Hilton. Could be any number of players. They could decide to not even trail him. 
just let the Colts dictate matchups, but he is obviously the number one weapon in that Colts offense. Like I said, I expect Kyle Arrington to be on him, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was a mixture of players against him. You know, this has been a Patriots team that, that's been different than the ones that I've grown up watching. You know, the, the teams of the past have been loaded at almost every position. I remember when they had about six starting linebacker quality guys, and, and now it's kind of an injury-plagued team. They've lost Wes Welker last year. Vincent Wilfork, kind of the heart of their defense, has not been playing because he's hurt. So is this a different team, and, and do you think that that benefits them, the fact that they've had to claw their way through this season now that they've, they're in the playoffs? Do you think it's better to be this kind of rough and gritty team or better to be the team that has kind of the skill at every position and is expected to win? You know, I'm sure they would take all those players that they, they lost back, the Will Forks and Mayo and Tommy Kelly and Gronk. But I do think that everything that they've gone through this season will help them in the playoffs. They've played in a lot of close games. I think these playoff games are going to be close. The Colts are playing a lot of close playoff games. Everyone kind of talks about how mentally tough this team is, and all the captains talk about it. Rob Minkovich says how mentally tough this team is. I do think that'll help, but obviously we've lost so much talent over the course of the season that if we do have no lose to the Colts, we lose to whatever the next round is or in the Super Bowl, there is kind of that built-in excuse of how many injuries they've gone through, but... Obviously, they still went 12-4 and four this season. I think a lot of that has to do with just that they still have Brady, they still have Belichick. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure they would take all the talented players back, but the fact that they have gone through so much, that does help them, I think. And if they look towards the future, neither, you know, no player on the Patriots would ever talk about this at this point. Obviously, Belichick wouldn't either. But do you think all the Patriots players are, are looking at this and they say, if we beat the Colts and somehow San Diego lives up to their reputation as kind of Denver's kryptonite, do you think that the Patriots players are thinking, wow, if we can beat the Colts, we can have maybe a home game against San Diego the next week? Yeah, I think that they're definitely thinking about that. And they're absolutely going to be watching that, that game on Sunday very closely. I think that, uh, I, that that would be absolutely huge if, if the Chargers were able to beat the Broncos again, if the Patriots were able to play at home in the AFC Championship game. Obviously, they didn't go their way last year against the Ravens, but this Chargers team is a lot different than last year's Ravens team. I think the Patriots can beat this Chargers team, especially if it's in Gillette Stadium, which, which the game obviously would be if the Chargers beat the Broncos. But if it goes the other way, if the Broncos beat the Chargers, I think the Broncos probably have the better chance to beat the Patriots, especially since it's going to be in Denver. But still, that, that game's going to be a toss-up. The Patriots already beat the Broncos once, and that was with Von Miller in there for the Broncos. So now take Von Miller out. That game gets a little bit different. So I think the Patriots are absolutely going to be looking at those matchups. They're, they're going to be watching on Sunday very intently. I'm sure that all 53 players on that roster are going to be cheering pretty intently for, uh, for the Chargers. Again, I'm talking with Doug Kide of Nesson.com. Doug, last question. You, uh, I just got to ask, prediction uh, for this game against the Colts? Um, I think the Patriots win. It's going to be a, a pretty high-scoring affair, I think. I'll say 34-31 Patriots win. It's going to be another close one. All right, good to know. I think I, I think I would tend to agree with you. I think the Patriots will come out of it with a victory, and I also agree it'll be a, a very high-scoring matchup. Doug, thank you so much for coming on. We look forward to maybe having you on in the future as well. Absolutely, sounds good. It was fun. 
Once again, that was Doug Kai from Nesson.com, uh, the Patriots beat writer. And, you know, it's really cool, obviously, to talk to somebody who's in that locker room. I, I was texting with him earlier today, and he was saying, you know, just let me know what time you want to call so, you know, I know when to leave Gillette. That's when you know, I mean, you know, I've been in Yankee locker rooms, and even if you don't have huge discussions with players, when you're around, you're around. And that's if you really want the details – um, of any team, player, or you know, situation with with a franchise, the best guys to talk to are the beat writers. Doesn't matter who they write for, but that's generally just the best way to learn information. So I hope everybody learned a lot. Uh, this game is is going to be great. I'm I'm very excited for all four. Uh, the Patriots Colts though is a rivalry that I love, and I'm a big fan of a lot of the things the Colts do. I'm not a big fan of Jim Irsay. I'm not sure what to think of that guy, but. I do, I, I do like Andrew Luck. I think he has the chance to be one of the best quarterbacks of, of my lifetime. It's, it's cool to be able to, you know, start in this profession as I did, you know, when I graduated in June, start in this profession and watch athletes grow. And Andrew Luck is one of those guys that I just can see 10 years from now. It doesn't take any, any imagination. It's not like, well, he needs to develop this or that. This guy is going to be good for a long time. And he's just got all the intangibles. And I look to, you know, that's a really cool matchup. Tom Brady versus Andrew Luck. It's old school and new school. And I thought, what game do we want to analyze the most other than that? Uh, that's basically, you know, the, the game that I'm most excited for. Let's examine uh, a few of the other games we have coming up. The Saints and the Seahawks. The, I had to do a little bit of research here just to remind myself of, of kind of what this game entails and, and the history between these two teams because it seemed a little familiar to me. And it, and it was true that two years ago, the Saints lost to the Seahawks because the Seahawks were at home for a playoff game because the Seahawks won their division at 7-9. and nine. And, and the Saints had to go to Seattle, one of the toughest places to play, if not the toughest, in the NFL. And the Saints lost to a 7-9 and nine team just because the Seahawks had won their division. So this game is really interesting, and, and obviously you still have Sean Payton and Drew Brees on the other team, so they have to be thinking, this is our revenge. Obviously, these are different teams than they were two years ago, especially on the Seahawks' side. I mean, I think they had, like, Charlie Whitehurst playing quarterback then. They have Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll now and the best team in the NFL, in the hardest environment to play in in the NFL. But the, the one thing, and I, I wrote down a few notes just about this game, and, and I think one of the keys is the fact that the Saints – seem like an inspired team it felt to me when I was watching their game against the Eagles last weekend that there was never a shot that the Saints wouldn't win the the good teams the really good teams always seem to have the ball at the end of the game and clock management turns out to be their friend good teams utilize clock management and that's what the Saints did they got the ball with what it was like six minutes to go and all they had to do was get the ball down the field and they did I mean, did you have any doubt that they would do that? And now I look at this game, added motivation to an already a, a team that's been so – there's been so much criticism. You know, you can't play in the cold, can't play away from home. Well, they went to Philadelphia in the cold away from home and beat them. And now you have a team that's been criticized and you have a team that lost to a 7-9 and nine Seahawks team two years ago in the playoffs. This would be revenge. Any loss away from home right now would be revenge for the Saints, though, because they're so used to this criticism. And so I really would worry if I was the Seahawks. Remember, the Seahawks aren't widely talented, in my opinion. The Seahawks have some of the best players in the NFL at certain positions. 
Richard Sherman is the best cornerback in the league. He shuts down your number one wide receiver. You know, Russell Wilson is one of the best quarterbacks and most dynamic quarterbacks in the league. Doesn't make a lot of bad decisions. And Marshawn Lynch, when he's running hard, is so difficult to stop, especially in the cold. Percy Harvin is back. But I don't think that they're widely talented. I don't think that as a team, they're the most well-rounded team. And I think they have to be worried. You know, because, yeah, yeah, Richard Sherman can shut down Marcus Colston. But what about Jimmy Graham? What about Lance Moore? You know, these guys can make a difference. And remember, Darren Sproles. I mean, this is an offense that can compete. And is th- this is a team that is motivated. Remember, this is a year out from Sean Payton's suspension. They still are getting back to the Houdat nation that we remember, the Saints team that we remember being so, so dominant. They want to regain that form. So as much as I like the Seahawks to go to the Super Bowl, because they are my prediction, I think that they are going to win the Super Bowl because they think that they're the most talented team in the NFL. But that doesn't mean that they're good at all sides of the ball. They have glaring weaknesses that they make up for for stars at certain positions. Watch for the Saints to come out blazing in that game. That's Saturday at 435. Colts-Patriots is Saturday at 815. Then you wake up Sunday after having a few adult beverages the night before for the Colts-Patriots. And you got a game at 105. How great is that? Niners-Panthers. This is an interesting game. Again, I'm sorry. I'm sure I'm using the word interesting a lot and excited. I feel like I'm Tim Tebow getting introduced with the Jets. But, I I mean, it's playoff football. It's exciting. It's interesting. So deal with it. Uh, Cam Newton deserves a lot of praise. I think that goes without saying. This is his first year kind of as a leader. This is his first year as the captain of this team. I don't know how many of those little stars he actually has that are yellow on his chest, meaning I don't know how many years he's actually been a captain, but this is the first year that he's been able to do the mature things as a quarterback, like accept the consequences of his mistakes, uh, put the team on his back. With him, he's always had the talent. But this is his first year as the leader of the Carolina Panthers. The, the Panthers are a tough team because of how good Cam Newton is and how good their defense is at the same time. The problem with Carolina, though, is the fact that they don't have a lot of postseason experience. I mean, guys like Luke Keekley and basically all around the ball, they don't have a lot of postseason experience. And they're playing a team that went to the Super Bowl last year in the San Francisco 49ers. And so many times quarterbacks are, are grouped together purely on race. And I've talked about this with um, with a few people in this office, especially uh, producer here, Troy Benjamin. People compare quarterbacks to others, whether they're white or black. It's just the way it happens. So people will say, oh, you know, Colin Kaepernick reminds me of Michael Vick on, you know, on the Falcons. And yes, there, there may be some truth to that. But in my opinion, the guy that reminds me the most of Cam Newton is Ben Roethlisberger. Escapability. Obviously, Cam Newton's a little faster than Roethlisberger, but Cam Newton's no Colin Kaepernick. He's not going to rush it for 50 yards a lot. But, you know, he reminds me of Ben Roethlisberger when he was younger. Great pocket passer with a huge power arm that can also escape and run for some yards. Roethlisberger doesn't do it that much anymore, but, you know, these quarterbacks two or three out of the years in the league are, are very similar guys. Colin Kaepernick, to me, isn't comparable to anybody else. He's bigger and more athletic and faster at the same time than any quarterback that I've ever seen. You know, he's bigger than Michael Vick. He doesn't have the issue of, you know, trying to get on his tippy toes to throw it over his right tackle. He doesn't have that problem. If he wants to, he can stay in the pocket all he wants because he's that good of an arm. And then, you know what the problem is, is that you're trying so badly as a defense to try and sack him. 
if your angle is bad and you're trying to come in and sack him, he can go right around you, and you have no way to stop him. Remember, Colin Kaepernick, in my opinion, is the most dominant quarterback in the league when he's on. When he is focused, there's almost no stopping him. We saw that last year in the playoffs. And then there was the argument, well, this could either be an anomaly, it could either be a one-time thing, or he's legitimately one of the best ever. And Ron Jaworski came out and said at the beginning of the season, I think Colin Kaepernick has a chance to be one of the best quarterbacks ever. And everyone was like, what? You're basing this off of playoffs? Well, yeah, because the skills that Kaepernick has aren't just going to go away. It wasn't a guy that just made a bunch of lucky throws and then suddenly, you know, was praised. It was a guy that you saw to be one of the most dynamic quarterbacks in the NFL. And that's what he is. He still is. This San Fran team is so dangerous. I, you know, I have a friend that's an Eagles fan who, uh, who asked me early on during the regular season, he said, if you were me and you were an Eagles fan, would you rather play the Saints or the 49ers? And I said, I'm sorry, I'd, I'd rather play the Saints. Now, the answer, if I was being realistic, would be neither because I didn't think the Eagles had a shot to beat either of them. But I think the 49ers are, are, are such a dangerous team. Think of the offensive weapons that they have. Vernon Davis who's supposed to, I guess you're supposed to cover him with a linebacker. Good luck with that. Michael Crabtree is back. Now that's an X factor. The guy is unbelievable. His hands are incredible. He's speedy. I'll never forget one of my favorite moments in college football during my lifetime was his catch from Graham Harrell at Texas Tech against Texas. That was terrific. He's He's been great ever since when he's healthy, and he's healthy. So you have Crabtree. You have Vernon Davis. You have Frank Gore is one of the most consistent running backs in the league. And then you have Anquan Bolden. I don't know how you stop that. And the thing I brought up at the beginning when I was talking about this Niners-Panthers game, which, by the way, Sunday at 105, was that here's the thing. The Panthers are good all around the ball, and Cam Newton deserves all this praise, but they're inexperienced. And I know this game is in Carolina, and I'm rooting for the Panthers in this game because I'd like to see something different. I would like to see Cam Newton play for a long time. But I just don't see the Niners losing right now. If they can win, if they can beat the Packers in Lambeau when it's like negative 70 degrees, I got to give it to them. But we'll do more thorough predictions in a second. AFC, Sunday, 440, Chargers, Broncos. Everyone's saying that the Broncos are the Chargers kryptonite. Obviously, I talked with Doug about that. And it makes sense that, you know, the Chargers beat the Broncos in week 15 in Denver. So there's no reason why you can discredit that. I will say, though, this is a team that is one of the, you know, has home field advantage for a reason. This is one of the most talented teams in the NFL. The key is the Broncos' defense. I mean, Von, Villa, Von Miller is out. Everyone knows that. He's the X factor. He's the only pass rusher, blah, blah, blah. Their defense stinks. Yeah, their defense may not be great, but all they have to do is bend and not break. If they let, if they let San Diego score 25 points, that's fine. The Broncos have an offense that is legitimately unstoppable. The Chargers' defense cannot stop the Broncos' offense. If the Broncos' offense on the, is on the field, they will score. All that needs to happen for the Broncos to win is bend, not break on defense. And, you know, I think the Chargers need to be more aggressive in the first half than they were last week. I mean, Phillip Rivers can't have 60 yards passing in the second quarter. He needs to throw the football. Granted, they won, so they were doing something right. But I'm just saying they're going to need to be more aggressive in terms of scoring than they were last week to beat this Broncos team. The pressure's on the Broncos. There's no question about it. And a little bit like the Saints, they've been criticized a lot. Well, more Peyton Manning, singularly. He can't win in the cold. He can't win away from home. All right, let's see. It's going to be cold in Denver. I think he's got a shot. 
I'll leave you with predictions, and then I'm out of here. My voice is getting hoarse. I'm not used to doing this alone. I miss Lou. I'm sad. Saturday, 8-15, Colts-Patriots. I kind of gave this away earlier to Doug. Uh, I think the Patriots are going to win. They're at home. They have Tom Brady. You know, I'm not a Patriots fan. I can't stand Boston. Well, You know, I don't mind the city as much as I just don't like the sports fans and the sports teams. I just don't see them losing at home. I don't. I think his prediction, I think, I, I can't remember what it exactly it was. It was like 31 and 28, but that's around what I think it's going to be. So high scoring. It'll be a good game. I think it's going to be very entertaining. That's why I said I was so excited for it, but I see the Patriots winning. Saturday at 435, Saints-Seahawks. I think this is going to be a very close game, and I, I, I picked, I don't even know if I told anybody this, which I, I think is going to make me look like a scumbag a little bit for saying that I predicted the Seahawks would win because, as I say that, longer down the road, people aren't going to believe me if the Seahawks continue. But I really did think that the Seahawks would win the Super Bowl. But I think the Saints are going to win this game. I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be lower scoring than you think. I think it's going to be in the 20s. But I think the Saints will win that game. They're very motivated. I really I love Sean Payton in the playoffs, guys. I do. I mean, the guy is, is such a risk taker, and most of the time it works because he's so smart. He's like a fox. And, and, and you know what? He will be able to control the game. That's, that's the way that the Saints are. They, you never feel like they're losing the game. They're losing touch with what they want to do. This is a Saints team that will stick to their game. I think Drew Brees can do it. I do. He's played in Seattle this year. I know they lost, but just having experienced what it's like to play there, that's a big that's a big thing as well. So I think the Saints win that game. Niners Panthers. I, I hinted at this earlier. Also, Niners. Uh, I think it'll end up being something like thirty-five uh, twenty-four, something like that. I that sound it, it's it's a closer game than that sounds. Uh, you know, it's one of those games where the end of the game kind of gets away from them. But I do think the Niners will win. And Chargers-Broncos, I'm going with the Broncos on this. Revenge, guys. Don't, if you don't think that these things matter to football players, you're out of your mind. The Broncos want to beat the Chargers because the Broncos are a confident bunch. And they have a reason to be. And the Chargers embarrass them on their own home turf. That will not happen again. I'm sorry. It just won't. Guys, I want to thank you for listening. This is, again, the Yes Men podcast. I'm Doug Williams. One thing before I go, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast on iTunes, please do so. It helps us out. just gives us an idea of you know what people like, what people don't like, especially if you do rate and review us. That's the other thing. Once you subscribe, which is awesome because it downloads automatically on your iPhone on the podcast app, then just go in, rate us. Give us five stars if you really love us. Give us three stars and a comment if you think there's something we could do better. That really helps us out. And review us. Write something down, what you like, what you don't like. So, again, we're on iTunes, the Yes Men podcast from yes.com. Again, I am Doug Williams. Thanks so much for listening. Lou will be back actually on Friday. That's in two days' time. We're going to do a video podcast from Barclays Center as the Nets take on the heat. It's a big game. The Nets are starting to play much better. We're excited to talk some basketball. Today was mostly baseball and football. Lou will be back. You get to see his pretty face. And then he'll be back. We'll be back next Wednesday with a normal podcast. So thanks again so much for listening. Enjoy your NFL playoffs. Have a good night. 